24 again, part two this morning. This is the story of Isaac and Rebekah. It's a story that is filled with tons of practical wisdom for us. I found 20 principles here for finding a godly spouse, and we covered the first 10 of those together last week and this morning. We're going to finish the remaining 10 principles, but before we do, I want to remind you again just of the disclaimer that I made last week, that when it comes to marriage, I think we're all falling into one of three categories. We're either unmarried, we're married, or we're post-married. If you're unmarried this morning, if you are not yet married, then this sermon is particularly for you. Listen up. If you are married, this sermon is also for you. Specifically, it ought to inspire, as I said last week, both celebration and confrontation. As we examine these characteristics of a godly spouse, you ought to both celebrate God's, God's provision of a godly, albeit imperfect, spouse in your life, even as you are confronted by your own personal shortcomings as a spouse. Too often we get those reversed, don't we? We focus on our spouse's shortcomings. We pat ourselves on the back. This is where problems creep into marriage. But you can't change your spouse. You've still got plenty of sin remaining in your heart to keep you busy for the next 20 or 40 or 60 years. So that's where you need to focus. You celebrate your spouse, trust God to work on him or her, and you just worry about confronting your own sin. Lastly, some of you may be in that third category, post-married. Perhaps you're widowed. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you've been called to lifelong singleness for God's glory. I just want to remind you again this morning as well, this sermon is for you too. It's for all of us. Because even as this story functions on a practical level, Abraham, remember, is seeking a literal spouse here for his son Isaac to ensure the propagation of his line. Descendants as numerous as the stars God has promised him through Isaac but at the same time, more than anything, this story is intended to point us ahead to Jesus. Jesus claimed that all the law and prophets, the whole Old Testament, points us to him. And so Isaac, Rebekah, Abraham, his servant Eliezer here, which means comforter, you remember. It's the New Testament uh, title for the Holy Spirit. They all foreshadow and anticipate a better father who desires a bride for a better son, and doesn't just send his servant to find her, but who actually purchases her with the precious blood of that son and then purifies her. God purifies a people for his own possession. That's what our Eliezer, our comforter, the Holy Spirit does for us. This story is an allegory. It's a symbolic, three-dimensional representation of the gospel of Christ's marriage with his church. And so if you've been united with him by grace through faith, then this story is for you. So we're going to start with just a quick summary recap of verses 1 through 22. If you want to fill in these blanks in your bulletin, uh, your bulletin from last week should still work as well if you save that. we got all 20 blanks there. Um, but if you missed it, here are the first 10 principles for finding a godly spouse. Number one, involve godly parents. Abraham, you remember, arranges this marriage for his son Isaac. And as odd as that may seem to us today, God's word says wisdom is with the age, the aged, Job 12, 12. There is wisdom and an abundance of counselors, Proverbs 15, 22. And so Christians will want to involve 
godly parents in major life decisions. Number two, Christians marry in the family. We are a spiritually incestuous people. Abraham commands Eliezer here to swear that he will not take a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites, but he will return to Abraham's kindred in Nahor. And that is still the expectation for God's people today. New Testament, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, Mary and the family. Number three, don't compromise God's calling. Abraham further specified, you can't take Isaac back to Nahor either. God has called him to stay here in the promised land, so God is going to provide a wife who is willing to move here instead. So likewise, if God has called you to something, I had lunch with a, with a brother, a, a newcomer here just this past week who serves as an alderman in local government here and had to break off a relationship with a girl because it would have required him to move and to give up his council seat. And he told me, he said, I feel like God has really called me to this work. He's using me in it. So stay the course, brother. God will, God will provide another spouse if that is his will, if he's called you elsewhere. Number four, trust God, but leave him space. You have faith, but you allow God room to work in ways that you perhaps never could have even imagined. Abraham boldly declares, God will provide Isaac a wife. But, he adds, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to trust him. God, I trust you. Give me the faith to continue trusting you even if you don't answer my prayers in the way that I want you to. Number five, pray. Eliezer prays, O Lord, please grant me success. We've got to pray as believers. Number six, seek a servant-hearted spouse. Eliezer is looking for a woman who will water. Remember all ten of his thirsty camels, 250 gallons, 100 trips down and, and up out of the well, hoisting 25 buckets each time for two sweaty hours. That's the kind of selfless, sacrificial bride that he wants for Isaac. That's the kind of bride, the kind of husband that you want, that you, you want for your kids, for your grandkids that you ought to be praying for. It's the kind of spouse that you want to be for your spouse. You want to be like Jesus who came not to be served, but who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Marriage only works when both spouses are doing that, are willing to die to self daily, to put the Lord first, and to put their spouse's wants and needs second above their own. Number seven, we said bonus points for attractiveness, for purity. Rebecca was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. And when you find one who's attractive and pure, who the parents approve of, who's, who's a fellow believer, prayerful, servant-hearted, what do you do? Number eight, you act. You act. Eliezer ran to meet her. He's not passive. He wants Rebekah to be God's chosen bride for Isaac. And God, I said, calls men. Specifically, we saw in, in his word, to be active, to be leaders in our relationships, in our marriages, in our homes. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, to act like men lead. Number nine, use prayerful discernment. While Rebecca is serving him, what is Eliezer doing? He's gazing at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Verse 21, discernment. He's still praying. And finally, last week, number 10, we saw we need to find someone who you value, a good spouse like Rebecca, maybe worth a gold nose ring, and two arm bracelets weighing 10 shekels, but we ended last, last Sunday by bringing it full circle again, back to this allegory that Jesus, he's the only one of 
ultimate value, who's worth your whole heart and mind, soul and strength. He is the pearl of greatest price. He's worth selling everything for. And so to those 10 principles, let's add 10 more this morning for finding a godly spouse after we read the rest of the chapter together. Would you stand with me as you're able one more time for Genesis 24? Stretch your legs. It's a long passage here. We're going to go pick up in verse 22 where we left off and then go all the way through verse 67. Hear the word of the Lord. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and he said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder. There's room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. <clears throat> Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, then he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to them. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, and he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So Laban said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land you, you, I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. So I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I've walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. And so I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you're prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I say, please give a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had even finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring to draw water, and I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give to your camels drink also. And so I drank. She gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, 
threw milk aboard of him. So I put the ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms, and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain for, for, with us for a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. They called Rebekah and they said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and their, her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Now, Isaac had returned from Bear, Lahai, Roy, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. And he took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we pray now as we submit ourselves under the authority of it. It's preaching. Would you use your word to sanctify us, to draw us closer to you, to change us from one degree of glory to the next, more and more into the image and likeness of your son. For your glory, we pray, Father, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Ten more steps for finding a godly spouse. Number 11, consider extended family. Consider the extended family. Remember, Eliezer had sworn to Abraham back in verse 4 that he would take a wife for Isaac from his kindred, from Abraham's extended family. And so, what does he do here in verse 23? He asks Rebekah, moment of truth, please tell me, whose daughter are you? And she replies, verse 24, he holds his breath. She replies, 
I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And Nahor, we know from earlier in Genesis eleven twenty six, that was Abraham's brother. And so Rebekah's grandfather is actually the brother of Isaac's father, Abraham. You remember Abraham was 100 years old when he had Isaac, so they just kind of skipped a generation there. But the principle I want to pull out here is that your in-laws matter, right? Some of you giggled, nudging each other. Maybe you've heard you're not just marrying your spouse, right? You're marrying their family too. You are joining, you are bringing two families together. And if family means anything to you, that is significant. Now, even as I acknowledge that, we need to note that Laban here, Rebecca's brother, we're going to meet him in verse 29. We'll hear more about him in chapters to come, chapters 28 through 31. Laban is not a good dude. He is greedy, he's materialistic, he's conniving. We get a glimpse of that here in verse 30. It's only after Laban sees all the bling that Rebekah comes home wearing and notices Eliezer's ten camels. The camel in that day was, was the Ferrari, the personal transportation, top of the line. Not a lot of people had them. This guy is loaded. He's got ten of them. That, that Laban shows hospitality, invites Eliezer in, and so your in-laws... If you've got an in-law like Laban, they, they may not be the decisive factor in choosing a spouse. After all, we are called to leave and cleave, to create your own new family, to become one flesh. There's not room in your marriage for your mother. Some of y'all need to, to kick her out of your marriage. Certainly out of the bedroom, out of the, the, the your, your mother-in-law has no seat at the, the table for personal decision-making as this new family that you're in now with your husband, but at the same time, your in-laws really are still a factor. I mean, they can be a big factor. You're going to be stuck with them too. Till death do them part, you part. Choose wisely. And so I, I can't not take this opportunity to publicly uh, celebrate and appreciate my in-laws. They'll join for the second service, so I won't make them stand up and whatever, but and what a blessing that my in-laws are to me. I know my wife Polly would say the same of her in-laws, of my extended family. It's going to join a second service as well. Number 12, find someone generous. You want to be married to someone generous. Verse 25, Rebecca, remember, has already watered all 10 of his Ferraris. But now she adds, we have plenty of straw and fodder back home as well. We got room to spend the night. She is over the top, generous and hospitable. You want a spouse like that. You want a spouse like Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11 declares, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Eliezer recognizes here that Rebecca, she's the kind of person that gives freely. She's going to bring blessing. She's going to enrich his master, Isaac. And I would just quickly add here that this goes far beyond generosity in merely the material sense. You want a spouse who is emotionally generous who gives encouragement freely. 
You want a spouse who is physically generous, who gives cuddles freely. I think of the five love languages, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, gift giving. What is your spouse's love language? Are you generous in loving them that way? Number 13, follow the Lord's lead and give him the praise. Follow the Lord's lead and give him the praise. Verses 26 and 27, we hear, Then the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 promises that if we will trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Make your paths straight. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Are you being led by him? Are you being led by the Lord, brother and sister? Are you, are you insisting on being the one out in front? You leading or are you following? Be reminded this morning, Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who what? Wait for him. Isaiah 30.18, blessed are those who wait for him. Psalm 37.34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Let him lead and he will exalt you. Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Is it you or God? Don't get out in front of the Lord. Follow him and he will make your paths straight. And when he does, what's your response? Worship. You worship him. You give credit where credit is due. When you experience success because you followed the Lord, like Eliezer, you give credit where credit is due. God knows that I am not the reason that I'm the lead pastor of such an amazing church. I am not the reason that I'm the husband of such an amazing wife. I'm not the reason that I'm the father of such amazing children. God did all of that in spite of will of all. So all glory and honor and praise be to him. Amen? Worship him. Number 14, find someone excited. <laughs> find someone excited to be with you. Look at verse 28. The, the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. You know, remember Eliezer? He enthusiastically ran to meet Rebecca, and now she, in turn, eagerly runs home. She's excited to tell her family. Now, the text is a little ambiguous about which part of all of this excited her so much. It could have been when she heard Eliezer reference his master, Abraham. Perhaps Rebecca had grown up you know, hearing her grandfather share stories of his beloved brother, Abraham, who had left home and to follow the Lord in faith. Perhaps it was hearing Eliezer pray to the Lord. She watched him worship the Lord, Yahweh. Whenever you see the word Lord in all caps in your Bible like that, it's a placeholder for God's personal name, Yahweh. 
considered by many to be too holy to even write or speak, hence the title Lord, being a placeholder there. Maybe Rebecca was astounded. This guy knows the God of the universe on a personal first name basis. I want to be a part, I want to marry into that kind of a family. Maybe that's it. Or maybe she was just excited about all the bling. We don't know. The 10 Ferraris. Ladies, I know how impossible it is for y'all to resist a gold, gold nose ring. That's how I proposed to Polly. It's biblical. I wish. It's an opportunity missed. But whatever, whatever the case, whatever the reason, Rebecca is excited to marry Isaac. And she confirms that in verses 57 through 59 where her family actually gives her a choice. They give her a say in the matter. Without hesitation, she agrees to go follow Eliezer back to Canaan. You want to find a spouse who's excited to be with you. I mentioned last week Polly's servant-heartedness, servant how she was willing to scrub showers and toilets just to spend time with me when we were in college. But it wasn't just that. She was excited to do it. I used to give her a hard time when we would walk down the, the sidewalk together at Furman. She would walk me clear off the path into the grass because she wanted to be so close to me. She was so excited to be near me. She'd, she'd inadvertently push me off the path. That's the kind of spouse you want. Now, admittedly, that is probably more of a mark, typically, of a younger, sort of newlywed stage of, of love. Although, I know some of you might remember a few, uh, a few months ago in a sermon, uh, I, I asked how many couples had been married more than two or three years and still got butterflies when they were around their spouse and Bob and Jan Deerberg here were the only two that raised their hand. God bless you all. They've been, been married over 60 years, still getting butterflies. God bless them, but for the rest of us, I don't think my wife has walked me off any paths lately unless I was just annoying her so much she was trying to get rid of me. Man, if, you are, if you're dating, if you're engaged, and that person isn't excited to be with you, I, I've done premarital counseling with couples where the guy just seemed kind of ap apathetic. You know, like he only proposed because she gave him an ultimatum after eight years of dating. Poop or get off the pot, I think, is the church version of the expression. And so he kind of reluctantly agreed, backed into the, the marriage, or an engagement where I could tell that she was really nervous and not just the butterflies. I'm talking like fear, anxiety. She, she was deeply concerned about some of the issues that had been raised in our premarital counseling together. And my advice is just tap the brakes. Better to spend an extra couple hundred bucks sending out updated save the dates. Get this thing right rather than rush into something that you're not really excited about. Your wedding ought to be the second most joyful day of your life after the day of your salvation. So you want to find someone you want to run down the aisle to, someone you want to run home and tell your family about, like Rebecca here. Number 15, be direct with your intentions. Be direct. Verses 29 through 49 a lot of verses, biggest section, but most of this section, you remember, is just Eliezer retelling the story to Rebecca's family. He traces how clearly God's hand was at work in all of this, providentially leading Rebecca to him. This was truly a match made in heaven. But let me just point out two verses in the section. Verse 33, after Laban has noticed 
that Eliezer must serve an extremely wealthy master, what does he do? He rolls out the red carpet. In that society, the husband paid the bride's family a dowry in exchange for her hand in marriage. It essentially served as both a prenup and a life insurance policy. If the husband was to ever divorce the wife, or if he died at a young age, the dowry would ensure that the woman would be taken care of financially. And in this case, Laban notices that his sister would be very well taken care of. And oh, by the way, according to custom, it was the wife's brother who was the one put in charge of her dowry. And so Laban rolls out the red carpet. He takes one look at Eliezer's ten camels, He's ready to wine and dine. He says, oh, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Let me wash your feet. Let me prepare for you the finest meal. But how does Eliezer respond? Verse 33, he says, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He's direct. He says, let me cut to the chase. Brass tacks. I got no time for schmoozing. So Eliezer He recounts the story of how God has sovereignly orchestrated the marriage, and then he concludes in verse 49. He says, God led me to Rebekah to take her as a bride for Isaac. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right or the left. That's pretty direct. Within 10 minutes of meeting Rebekah's family, he has asked for her hand in marriage. He says, listen, I don't want to waste either of our time here. We're both busy people. Pooper, Pooper, get off the pot. Is she coming with me or not? Turn to the right or the left. Now, I don't think that the Bible is necessarily saying that you ought to be ready to propose within the first 10 minutes of meeting a girl. But I do think that the principle here that we, we want to be really clear and committed to is you want to be direct with your intentions romantically. Christians don't date for sport. We don't date recreationally. Dating is not a hobby. We date with a purpose. Specifically, the purpose of marriage. If, if that's not the path that your relationship is on, then it's on the wrong path. If she or he is not marriage material, then what are you really doing? You're just killing time? Just having fun? Listen, there are lots of ways to have fun. Find a hobby. And while you're at it, find a new boo. Somebody who's worth dating, somebody who's worth potentially marrying one day, and then be direct when you do. Let them know, look, I'm not, I'm not here to waste either of our time. I'm looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, not Mr. Right now. And when you find them, when you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, number 16, you don't drag your feet. Number 16, don't drag your feet. Initially, in verses 50 and 51, Laban and Bethuel, they're convinced This is indeed a match made in heaven by God himself, and so they concur. They say, go ahead, take Rebekah and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son. The Lord has spoken. And so they all celebrate. They worship some more, verse 52. More gift giving, verse 53. They throw a big party, verse 54. But by the time Eliezer wakes up in the morning, the next morning, ready to depart with Rebekah, now... Her family has changed their tune. Now they're suggesting a change of plans. They say, well, let the woman remain with us for a while. It's like 10 days. And then she can go with you. How does Eliezer reply? He could say, well, I guess it's only another 10 days. I mean, the the return trip home is going to take three or four weeks anyway, 450-mile journey. What's another 10 days? No. 
verse 56, he says plainly, no, don't delay me. It's time to leave. So they say, well, let's let Rebecca decide then. This is very uncustomary. Perhaps Laban thinks that Rebecca will feel a sense of attachment to her home, that she'll want to stay, that, and then he'll be able to use that as leverage, right, to try and milk a little more dowry out of Eliezer, negotiate some more, but Rebecca doesn't drag her feet either. She doesn't drag her feet either. Verse 58, she says simply, I will go. And so, speaking of getting off the pot. Christians, we don't generally date for eight years. If you're direct and intentional, purposeful with your dating, then you don't delay something as wonderful as marriage. Why would you want to? The world says, sow your wild oats. The world says, you know, put off marriage as long as you possibly can. Keep your options open. Play the field. The Bible says two are better than one. The Bible says a he who finds a wife finds a good thing, Proverbs 18.22. Same is true of a good husband, too, by the way. If God is offering you a suitable helpmate, a perfect complement, a yin to your yang, don't let that person slip away. You better reel that fish in. Don't drag your feet. I talked to a young couple just last week on the, on the phone. They're on the path moving toward marriage. And her father wants them to be engaged long time. You know, keep your options open, get your finances in order. They're telling me, we, we know each other is the one. Like, we're ready to be married. So my advice is, I think, I think the Bible's advice is, don't drag your feet. But, flip side of that, number 17, at the same time, seek familial blessing. You want to seek familial blessing, the family's blessing. Eliezer, he could have raised a fuss when they tried to detain him. He could have said, now wait a minute, we had a deal. I already gave you her dowry. We shook on it. We drank on it. But he doesn't do that. He's patient, and he lets Rebecca weigh in, as they suggest, not only to make sure that she's truly on board, he wants to confirm it, but going back to point 11 again, because extended family really is important. And so if at all possible, Eliezer wants to get their blessing, he wants to get them on board too. And sure enough, when Rebecca agrees, so do they. Once again, verse 60, they blessed Rebecca. And so I told that young man who called me last week, I said, don't drag your feet but don't burn the bridge with your future in-laws either. You know, so far as it depends on you, Romans 12, 8, seek to live peaceably with all, especially your in-laws. Sit down with them, listen to them, hear their concerns, take them to heart, pray about it, pray with them about it. And if at the end of all that, you're still at an impasse, then you let them know how much you respect them, how much you, you, you really care, value their perspective, but at the end of the day, you've got to obey what you feel like the Lord is putting on your hearts. But man, if at all possible, you want your family's blessing of something as important as your marital union. Number 18, 
And we're going to move quickly through these last three. Number 18, find someone prayerful. What is Isaac doing when Rebecca rides into town? This is kind of one of those rare kind of slow motion moments in the Bible. You can just imagine them, you know, looking and you see it in their eyes. But what is he doing? So attractive to her, probably. Verse 63, Isaac was out to meditate in the field toward the evening. He's praying. He's praying. Ladies, if you show up for a blind date and the guy is at the table praying for you before you even arrive, not like, God, please let her be hot. Like, I mean, I mean, he's really praying for you. He's praying over the date. He's praying for wisdom and discernment. Ladies, you marry him on the spot. That's what Rebecca does here. They get married within four verses of ever laying eyes on each other. He's a keeper. Reel him in, ladies. Number 19, find someone modest. This is verses 64 and 65. When Rebecca saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and she took her veil, and she covered herself. These are both signs of modesty, humility, modesty. 1 Timothy 2.9 enjoins women to adorn themselves with modesty or Put negatively, speaking of nose rings, Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Do you really want a significant other who sends every possible signal that she or he is wide open for business, open for customers? Is that who you want to be with? Don't you want to be with someone whose modesty both in their dress and in their demeanor, sends a message to the world that there are parts of me, my body and my soul, that are too precious to share with anyone but God and my spouse, my future spouse. That I don't, I don't cast my pearls before swines. A lot of pig metaphors here. Ladies, there are a lot of pigs out there. Don't fall for one. Don't fall for one. Don't be surprised when you get the kind of attention that it seems like you're asking for either. Be modest. And finally, number 20, find someone you love who comforts you. You want to be with someone you love, someone who comforts you. Verse 67, Isaac took Rebekah, she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Listen, life is going to get tough. Life is going to be filled with all sorts of ups and downs. I know that I am preaching to the choir here. Most of you have lived a lot longer than I have. You've experienced more pain and heart, heartbreak than I probably ever will in my life, I pray. You need a comforter in marriage. You need someone to pick you up when you're down. The, the Ecclesiastes 4 passage that I quoted earlier, it goes on to say that two are better than one, for if one falls, the other will lift him up. You know, being married doesn't mean that you're never going to go through hardship in life, but it does mean that you won't go through it alone. And that's a beautiful thing, there, to, to have someone who loves you to have someone you can love in return. Love is a 
beautiful thing indeed. It's the greatest of all things, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. But true love, biblical love, it's not just a feeling. Verse 67 here isn't just describing how Isaac felt about her. Love is a choice. It's a commitment for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's love. Regardless of my feelings. Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, that he what? Lay down his life for a friend. And so let's bring this full circle here in closing. While you and I were not his friends, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of God, God showed his love for us in this, that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. That is love. To make you his bride. And even though you and I, we are the anti-Rebecca. We, we were not in the family of God. We were estranged, rebels, disobedient, distrusting, prayerless, selfish, ugly, impure, foolish, and worthless. You can go all the way down the entire list, all 20 traits we just examined. We failed every single test of a worthy spouse and yet in spite of us because not because of anything good in you but because of everything good in Jesus in your Savior God loved you enough to die for you on the cross that is good news friends that is a spouse worth committing to and so bring it full circle by reminding you God is the better father Jesus is the better son the Holy Spirit is the better matchmaker between you and him may we church may we become the better Rebecca and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called amen let's pray